You are now listening to On the Couch with Mary Jane. I invite you into my world of pleasure, power, and truth, where we discuss all things sexuality. Join me as I host leading experts and professionals who share their knowledge, trade secrets, and inspirations to feeling more empowered by what it is that we truly desire. Before we dive deep into these conversations, I want to remind you that the most intimate relationship is the one that you share My guest today has a master's in physical therapy from McGill and completed her certificate in perineal and pelvic rehabilitation from the University of Montreal. She now works as a physiotherapist treating a variety of pelvic floor dysfunction for both men and women. Welcome to my couch, Leanne DeCoubelis. Thank you so much for having me, Mary Jade. I'm so happy to be here today. So let's start with the basics. What is the pelvic floor? Where is it located in our body? And what are some of its main functions? Sure. So I think it's important to say that uh, pelvic health physiotherapists do have a training, of course, in physical therapy. Um, But we do continue after to gain some extra knowledge and gain some even certifications in pelvic health. And this is the mystery where people often ask, well, what does that mean? And what is the pelvic floor? Because it is not included in the curriculum in PT and physiotherapy. And so these are muscles that are not accessible on the outside of the body. They're mostly accessible inside through the vagina and the rectum as well. Um, So these muscles are a group of muscles that lie essentially the floor in your pelvis, right? So these are muscles that lie like a hammock and they really start from the front at the pubic bone and they come across the three openings in women and two in men. So the urethra, the vagina and the anus or just the urethra and the anus and they also attach into the tailbone in the back end of the pelvic floor and they also span from right to left and attach into the sit bones. So there are a variety of different muscles that compromise the pelvic floor and they are there's different layers as well. They're superficial, intermediate and deep. And so what do these muscles do exactly? I think that's the main question. So yes. far so good? Yes. Okay, perfect. So <laughs> Um, I would describe it in the four S's. I think that's the easiest way to sort of remember what they do. The first one is they have a sphincteric role, which means that the urethra and the anus have to be able to close and contract to hold in urine, gas, and stool. But they also have to be able to open and lengthen to allow urination and defecation to happen without, for example, hesitancy or constipation. So it works both ways for both men and women. The second role is for support. So these muscles really support the organs inside of our pelvis, such as the uterus, the bladder, the rectum, the prostate. And so without these muscles present and there, the organs would essentially fall out. All right. So these are very important for support. They also work uh, for stability. And I think this is one that's often overlooked and so important. So they work in conjunction, in coordination with our other core muscles. So when we think of core muscles, we think of our abdominal muscles, right? But there's so much more to that. So they work together with our deep core muscles, the transversus abdominis, but they also work in harmony with our diaphragm 
right? So the pelvic floor muscles work together with those and the muscles in our back as well that we call the multifidus. So these four muscles collaborate together and really outline our core to have that stability to support the spine and pelvis. And I would also add that they help manage what we call the pressure in the abdomen. So I know that sounds like a lot of information, but um, we can discuss that maybe in another conversation <laughs> eventually. And so the last S is what we're here for today. So we spoke about the sphincter, mm -hmm. the support, the stability, and now we're here for sexual function. Okay. And so these muscles definitely are so important to help with sexual function. That can mean so many things, you know? Yeah. And I think that's what we're going to dive into today. Yes, exactly. But before, I would love for you to just share why you decided to specialize in pelvic floor therapy. Right. I, I wasn't sure if you're going to ask me this question today, and I think that there's so much shame and guilt associated to sex, and so I haven't shared this openly yet, but I am... Um, you are I'm, on the couch. Yeah. This is the place to do it. So truth be told, I was in my last year in my master's. I had no idea what pelvic health was. So one of my greatest mentors and pioneers in the field, Claudia Brown, she works together with Marie-José Lard. She was giving a three-hour lecture on pelvic health. And I remember sitting there with my colleagues, almost with my mouth open to the floor, thinking, I think I'm a patient. Mm. I identified with so much of what they were saying. And for me, it was personal. I had pain with sex for a long time and I thought it was normal and I thought everyone had pain and I would watch these movies where women would have their first interaction with you know sexual penetration and would experience very different things than I was and so it raised a lot of curiosity for me to explore and to learn more. Um, lo and behold I went to continue my expertise in pelvic health and I got pregnant so I had this you know, I was taking courses in pelvic health and pursuing my, my micro-programme at the Université de Montréal. And as I was coming to an end, you know, the month after, I gave birth to my first son, who wow. happened to weigh 9 pounds, 8 ounces. And my second was 9 pounds, 12 ounces. Wow. Yes. And I thought to myself, oh my gosh, if I didn't know everything that I knew, this would have been a very different experience for me, both in the labor, in the birth, and in the recovery as well. Yeah, I mean, you're so lucky because I only found out about all this pelvic floor therapy when I was pregnant with my second, and my first was also 9.9 .9 pounds. Really? <laughs> yes, and uh, labor was very difficult, mm -hmm. lasted like more than 24 hours, and they had to pull him out with forceps. Mm -hmm. So all of these things, I think, first of all, could have probably been minimized or even prevented had I had I done some kind of pelvic floor exercises prior to giving birth and also the recovery like I mean I think I got pretty lucky that I didn't have any serious symptoms following this but mm. um, I really wish I had known because my births afterwards from like just the pelvic floor exercises were much easier for sure. Yeah, so. I can totally relate and connect with what you're saying. And even for me, having gone through that personally, opened my eyes to how much there is a lack of awareness yeah. 
today, you know, and how little we know about contractions and what it means to open the pelvic outlet and to allow the baby to pass through the birth canal and the recovery, how important that is to reestablish, you know, pelvic floor and even abdominal strength because our muscles have been elongated and they went through some form of trauma. And uh, yeah. I definitely, you know, that really allowed me to notice how much of a demand and how much of a need there was through my personal experiences. And so in short, I decided to devote myself entirely to pelvic health after I had my two boys. And so I no longer practice in orthopedic anymore. I only practice in pelvic health. And I'm really hoping to help both, you know, people who identify with men and women parts. Mm. So I also love your story as to why you were first drawn to this. So thank you for sharing that because this segments us into like the core of our conversation, which is sexual health and how the pelvic floor affects our sexual function. Mm -hmm. So what would you say are some of the um, pelvic floor disorders that a person can experience and how can those affect their sexual functions? Sure. Um, so I think it's important to know that, you know, pelvic floor, the muscles, they act like any other muscle in the body. So when we talk about pelvic floor dysfunction, that means that the muscles aren't doing their job. They're not working in an optimal way. So then we have to ask ourselves why. And there's really two options here. Either the muscles are too tight and stiff and overactive, and that can often lead to pain. Um, so Mary Jade, are we talking more specifically with people who identify with women parts or male parts or both? I mean, let's start with the women. Let's start with for women? Sure. Yes. Okay, perfect. Because so, uh, I can go on yes. about so much stuff. I think, I, think, yes. I think the male perspective is like even more, um, even more like unspoken, for sure. you know, when it comes to this. And I, I, I think we should definitely do an episode on the male perspective, but I think let's just already start with sure. the female. I will say though, it is unspoken, but it is so similar mm. in so many ways. So I'll just put it out there for any men who may be listening. Women who have an overactive pelvic floor will often, you know, feel pain. And that could look like pain either on the outside and or in the inside. Um, they might also have more sensitivity. You know, they can sometimes have penetrative sex and sometimes they can't tolerate it. So this is known as dyspareunia, which means pain with sex. Mm -hmm. So, so dyspareunia is quite prevalent and does affect about 20% of women. But then we can go more specific into different categories, right? So for example, vaginismus is an involuntary muscle contraction of the pelvic floor muscles, which makes it very difficult to allow penetrative sex to happen, right? And so there's different, of course, severities of that. Some people have it from very early on, from the very beginning, and other women can actually develop it later on, even, you know, after vaginal birth or later on with menopause, even with some of the changes that come with that. Um, and sometimes, you know, what happens when a muscle is tense or tight, like any other muscle in the body, is that it restricts blood flow. And I think this is the main thing to keep in mind with sexual function is if the blood vessels cannot dilate, then you have a hard time stimulating blood flow and arousing the clitoris in that area. So, you know, there's sort of this congestion that happens around the genital area where there's limited blood flow and ultimately that will impact 
your capacity to enjoy intercourse sex and even have a good quality orgasm. But then there's the other side. Mm -hmm. Then there's, you know, a weaker and underactive pelvic floor, which means that the muscles have been lengthened or overstretched. Now, this can happen in young women, but it can also happen over time, more specifically, you know, after a vaginal birth, for example, or even as we mentioned before with menopause, where there's some hormonal changes and estrogen levels go down, there is less elasticity, right? And the tissues, there's some, the tissues are more delicate and they're more lengthened. And so this can result in maybe less sensation and more difficulty reaching an orgasm or just less of quality because we know the muscles when we're having an orgasm, they have a strong sort of rhythmical contraction. And so if our muscle is on the weaker end and it's having a difficult time contracting, it's not going to be as strong or as enjoyable. Mm-hmm. So obviously you um, named some of the reasons for the laxity, um, you know, in, in for some women, childbirth um, and menopause, but On the contrary, when you're saying that some of the muscles can be tighter and uh, cause pain at penetration, what would be some of the causes for that? That's a great question. I love that. So often there's this perpetual need to always contract the pelvic floor muscles. And there's so many reasons why one would do this. It could be a high stress job. It could be associated to a trauma You know, there's also a lot of talk about the chakras and the body and the root chakra. I don't want to go in depth because I am in PT, so I want to stay evidence-based, but I do find it so interesting and fascinating where the energy is stored in the body and that need to always want to contract and protect, you know, that area where we, um, procreation, right? Um, So going back to your question, why is it tight? It could be a compensation. I see this so often. It could be someone has an injury elsewhere in the body or has a weakness and they're just having to compensate with their pelvic floor muscles to provide that form of stability. It could be emotional, right? And I think we talked about trauma in the past and any really form of trauma. It could be sexual. It could be uh, emotional. It could be a previous cancer even, you know? Yeah. And so there is some sort of compensation, and this is where I feel this sort of mind-body awareness really is important and is a very active part of our treatment because essentially we can do all the you know manual therapy that we want, but if that person goes back into those same behaviors, then there's a chance that that tightness might come back with time. Yeah. Um, I love that you mentioned that because I think that we don't realize how much our physical and our mental is connected. And this like really proves that point because even if we have all these physical symptoms like, you know, painful penetration and, um, you know, the, the, you mentioned like whether it's the laxity, but you know, not having, having these symptoms, you know, in our sexual relationships causes us to have a negative association to this act of sex and in turn makes us you know less aroused less wanting to perform it you know and just sometimes accepting that well maybe for me it's just not something that is part of my life you know and I think that's not the solution Absolutely. and I think it's unfortunate that a lot of people you know come down to that conclusion thinking that it's just how they are 
programmed and there's nothing they can do about it. Absolutely. And I'll also add that with that, there's a lot of apprehension. And so when you're trying to be intimate with your partner and you know that it might be uncomfortable or that it might be painful and you're not allowing maybe enough time or whatever the case may be, there's a lot of apprehension where you have this sort of involuntary muscle contraction. Mm. So you can see how this plays out into a vicious cycle where that person has apprehension is not very mindful that they can relax their muscles, right? They're not even aware that they're contracting. Yeah. And this makes the vaginal entrance even tighter, right? And that makes it more difficult to have penetrative sex. And that makes it more painful for that person, which goes and becomes more apprehensive as a result. And so there is such a lack of awareness as to why they're experiencing pain, you know, and all these things come to mind. But ultimately, it is a vicious circle that we have to sort of undo. And physical therapy is a part of that multimodal process. Mm. What are some of the recommendations that you would give to a patient who wants to maximize their orgasms or increase the level of pleasure they get from sex? I think I got this. (laughs) It's a loaded question. So in short, the stronger the muscle and nerve connections, the stronger the orgasm. Here's the thing is a lot of women will mistaken a tight muscle with a strong muscle. Mm. And that's, you know, a lot of the confusion because, because here's the thing, if you compare to your bicep muscle and you're always guarding and protecting your injury, and so your bicep is more shortened, right? It's lacking flexibility and suppleness. And it's lacking its range of motion. So its ability to contract is also limited as well. Does that make sense? Yeah. So if two people are curling their bicep, well, one is doing the full range of motion, whereas the other one is maybe only getting 50% of that contraction. And so the person with the tight muscle is actually going to have a weaker muscle that is not as efficient. And we know that a weaker muscle leads to more dysfunction and less blood flow and ultimately a muscle that is just not functioning to its full potential. Okay. And so a stronger muscle and more, you know, nerve connections leads to a better orgasm. So does, if, if the, um, so what's the muscle called? that we're referring to. So it's plenty of the muscles in the pelvic floor. So if these muscles are more, can we call them flexible? Absolutely. So the more flexible they are, the more of range of motions they'll get, the better the orgasm because the contraction will be bigger between the muscle. That's, That's perfect. And I would also say that initially the muscles are nice and relaxed and you want those blood vessels to dilate to allow to, to allow, to allow the blood flow to come in right? Um, So it needs both. The muscle has to be dynamic. It has to be flexible, but it has to be able to contract and to be strong. It needs all of it. Like any athlete, Mm -hmm. you'll see that they're strong, but they do their stretches and they're flexible. So I feel like a lot of women think that they only have to do Kegels, but it's not true. It's the relaxation is so important as much as the contraction. Actually, that makes me think of, I have a, uh, I think it's called like an inverse uterus yes so I feel like that also like how your your uterus is positioned can also affect where you're stimulated like your g-spot is that something that we have information about it's a great point I don't know for sure but what I have noticed as a clinician 
is that the position of the uterus can affect, um, for example, where the, um, how can I put this? When the penis enters into the vaginal canal, it might hit the cervix or might hit the end in certain mm. positions over other positions, and yeah. that can cause some discomfort. Okay. So this is why some women would prefer missionary over doggy style, and others would like doggy style over missionary. Yeah. And I find that clinically, the position of the uterus in the in this particular you know conversation can be relevant. Mm-hmm. I think that's so interesting. You know, I think it's not talked about, and there's so much of uh there's so many ideas that like you know one size fits all right that like this is the best position for everyone or like it's not talked about you know so some people will share their experience and that'll make another person feel like oh well I'm not feeling that way when I'm in that position does that mean that something is wrong with me you know and that's why I think it's so important to have these conversation and for people to be more open about their personal experiences because, um, you know, we're keeping so much to ourselves and there's so much pleasure to gain from all of this. Yes, definitely, for sure. One of the main symptoms that comes to mind when we talk about pelvic floor dysfunction is bladder leakage. And is this something that is common to also happen during sex? So during intercourse, Absolutely, there can be some urinary incontinence, but there could also be more air escaping and there could be maybe some bowel leakage as well. That could happen in some scenarios for sure. But uh, urinary incontinence is definitely some reason, a reason that someone would consult, you know, in pelvic floor physiotherapy. So let's talk a little bit about anal and the pelvic floor and how does the pelvic floor connect to the anus and also how that affects anal sex? This is a good, good question. So we have this superficial muscle called the external anal sphincter. And then more deep, we have what we call the levator ani, which is a group of muscles that essentially help lift the anus and rectum up like you're trying to hold it gas, right? Gas and stool. And so definitely, you know, these muscles similar to the vaginal muscles I would say have to be trained to to be more flexible and more supple. And that person would have to have control and also a better understanding and how to work those muscles to allow them to lengthen and relax at the right time, Mm. but also how to contract and squeeze at the right time. Okay. So if you are looser, like from a vaginal perspective, that doesn't necessarily mean that you are loose from an anal perspective. You could be loose in the front and tight in the back, if I'm not mistaken. That's such a good question. I love that. (laughs) I think often what I do notice clinically is that when women are tight, they are mostly tight like throughout Mm -hmm. and when they're weaker, same. But absolutely, it could be that you're, you know, weaker in the front and then tighter in the back. And this can often happen because of an imbalance. It could be postural related. It could be even the way that they squat at the gym where there's like a compensation in one part of the muscle. And and uh, so to answer your question, yes, it could be that someone is weaker in the front and then tighter in the back and vice versa. So let's just discuss a little bit about vaginal hygiene. I think a lot of people are not really aware about what that entails. So maybe you can share a little bit about what are your key um, key recommendations in terms of vaginal hygiene? Sure. 
There are some women who have more sensitive vulvas than others and others who really don't react to, for example, different kinds of lubricants or fragrances and things like that. But what you really want to be mindful of is, you know, you want to keep less is more. Let's just put it that way. You know, less, less, less things there is better. You don't, it's like a self-cleaning oven. You don't really have to put anything inside the vagina. So the recommendations are just water. And if you want to add a little bit of soap in your hands to gently, you know, wipe the vulva area, that's okay. But really, again, less is more. And being very gentle and really dabbing with a towel to clean it dry. Um, otherwise, you know, airing it out, trying not to keep humidity. So removing your bathing suit or anything humid as soon as possible, even after a workout, you know, minimizing the wear of underwear at night. And if you can, wearing cotton and wearing even the color white is really beneficial to allow the air to kind of flow in and out. I'll also add that the vaginal pH is something to be mindful of, sort of. We talk about the gut microbiome, but there is a vaginal microbiome as well. And that keeps the good and the bad bacteria in check. And so mm. when there's an alteration of this vaginal pH, that can make some of the bad bacteria, right, um, multiply. And that could lead to something like a yeast infection or bacterial vaginosis. So Mary Jade, if there's anything that I really want people to gain from today's podcast is that women who have more of a lengthened underactive pelvic floor muscle may have less tone and sensation, and they may not have the strength or tone necessary to encourage healthy blood flow needed for that genital engorgement. And that tissue laxity, which is common in underactive pelvic floor muscles, make it so that there isn't enough friction to adequately stimulate the clitoris during penetrative sex. And on the contrary, when we have tight, rigid, and overactive pelvic floor muscles, this really limits the mobility of the muscle, which in return will affect the blood flow. So when the muscle is inflexible and it is limiting blood flow, it can may also cause nerves to become overactive, which could lead to more sensitized and painful tissues, right? And so this is, you know, I think what I really wanted to highlight about the muscles, when we talk about dysfunction, there are different types of dysfunction and understanding which part you fall into can help you also lead to better sex and stronger orgasms. And Kegels are not always the answer. There is so much more to just Kegels. Do you agree that a strong pelvic floor is the secret to a more pleasurable sex life? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> So we'll end on that. Thank you so much for being here today. I think it was so interesting and there's so much to learn. So thank you for sharing your knowledge. You're very welcome and thank you for having me. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this episode of On the Couch with Mary Jade. This journey is about you and me together. So make sure you share your questions, your thoughts and your interests. You can do that either on my website, maryj.com, or by connecting with me on Instagram at onthecouchwithmj. You can also connect with me on my personal page at themaryjade. If you want to continue to uncover all things sexuality with me, then hit subscribe or follow wherever you're listening to this podcast. I really would love to hear your feedback, so if you can take a moment to rate and review this episode, I would really appreciate it. And lastly, if you love what you heard, then make sure you share it with a friend. 
Thank you, and until next time, On the Couch with Mary Jade.